0: Good morning, hey, my name is Adam. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard. Really glad you're here. It's good to have you all in the house this morning. You guys have all your Christmas presents wrapped? Good. I keep trying to convince my wife not to wrap anything. It's just, let's just throw them all out in the middle of the floor. be a lot less just throw it out there and let, them, like, let the kids just hit it like piranhas. You grab it. It's yours. Be a lot more interesting. All right, cool. Hey, um, I'm excited about what I have to share with you guys this morning. I had one thing, and I smashed it, shredded it, and we're going to talk about something different this morning. still Christmas, but just something different. Um, I want to read three passages to you this morning, and they're They seem maybe a little bit disconnected, but hopefully we'll be able to pull them together here in the end. This is out of uh, John chapter 1, out of that famous prologue. John writes that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And then a scripture we all know. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in verse 18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about the family of God. Um, The whole Christmas story is baptized. It's just baptized in family. Um, we see it in the scriptures that we even read this morning. The, the, fam- the most famous scripture, John 3.16. Everybody, Even pagans know John 3.16, right? But we see it even in that scripture. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Uh, I want you to, to understand something. It didn't say that for God so loved the world that God sent God so that everyone who believes in God could have eternal life. How many of you understand that If it, if it had said... For God so loved the world that God sent God that everyone who believes in God will have eternal life. That's theologically correct. There's nothing wrong with that. It's true. But that's not what it said. And because it does say something different, it's giving us insight into who God is and into his heart in a way that for God so loved the world that God sent God and everyone who believes in God won't die but they can live forever. Does that make sense? There's this tone. There's this um, ring of family in the things that God, are, God is doing. And then from the scripture in John chapter 1, it says, For those who did receive, for those who did believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Again, we'll just drive this home a little bit. The scripture doesn't say for everyone who believed and everyone who received, He gave the right to become possessions of God. It also doesn't say that for everyone who believes and receives, He gave the right to become slaves of God. It doesn't even say... That for everyone who believes and receives, uh, you don't go to hell. And, and however, you can make a case for all of those things in the New Testament. You can make a case from the scriptures for believing in and a person who believes in, they become a possession of God, one of his cherished possessions. You can make that, you can make that case. You can also make the case that for everyone who believes and receives the son uh, becomes a slave to the Kingdom, Paul says in Romans chapter six that we 're no longer slaves to sin, but we 're slaves to righteousness. You can make these cases they 're theologically correct they 're true it doesn 't change the story except it totally changes the story. God could use any of a number any number of a billion words to describe what he 's doing in his Son, what he 's doing for us, and over and over again, he continually chooses the language of family, sends his only son. Not God sending God, He sends His only Son. For everyone who believes, for everyone who receives, He gives the right to become children of God. See, there's a tenderness in this story. There's a tenderness. When God begins to talk about family, when He begins to frame this whole thing within the context of family, part of what He's doing is He's framing inside of this story. He's framing tenderness into it. He's framing care He's framing nurturing. He's framing affection. Uh, It wasn't a job. That's what he's saying. This is not a job. It's a whole lot of work, but it isn't a job. It's got my heart in it. There's something more in there. This isn't a vampire story. It's not bloodless. There's all kinds of blood in this story. It's, It's red hot. It's beating. There's something more to it. And by the way, I want you to understand something this morning about the Christmas story and about these scriptures that we've just put up here. God's idea of family and and doing his biggest moves through a revelation and through a context of family isn't simply a language issue it's not as though he's just choosing some words it's not as though he's choosing uh some words because he likes them better over other words even though he's wanting to communicate that he's doing it actually in much deeper levels than just language if you remember the christmas story we have zacharias and we have elizabeth and then we have mary and joseph and mary and elizabeth are what Related. John the Baptist and Jesus are what? Cousins. Like this thing that God is doing, it's about family. Like we need to get that this morning. You need to understand that this thing that God is doing is not simply, you know, him taking pity on people. It's that he loves people and he is expressing his love and his kindness and his affection in a particular manner, even though he can do it any way he wants. And the way that he wants to show it is family. Have you ever noticed that certain strains of stuff tend to run in families? You ever notice that? Like stuff just kind of runs in families. Any of you guys ever met a preacher who's the son of a preacher, who's the son of a preacher, who's the son of a preacher? Like preachers tend to run in families. Any of you all ever been around a family? It was like a doctor who's the daughter of a doctor, who's the daughter of a doctor, who's the son of a doctor who's the daughter of a doctor who has the son of a doctor and the cousins are all doctors? (laughs) Yeah, why? Because stuff runs in families, right? Some of what runs in families is a bit more disappointing. Long lines of alcoholics. Dad's a drunk. Granddaddy's a drunk. Great-granddaddy, he's a drunk. His great-great-great-granddaddy, he was a drunk too. Financial failure tends to run in families. Daddy was broke, granddaddy was broke, great great granddaddy, he was even more broke. Long lines of men with sleeves cut out from their shirts. Wearing tractor supply hats. Bush hogging. If you cut your sleeves out of your shirt, you wear a TSC hat and you bush hog, it's okay. I do too sometimes. I just don't Instagram that. <laughs> oh, But stuff runs in families, like really great stuff and then really disappointing stuff. Part of the context there is God is trying to say that one of the main containers for the move of the kingdom, for the move of the spirit is family. It's written all over the New Testament. By far the most common metaphor for the church in the New Testament is family. Now you'll just hear preachers they get all fired up they read, you know, the book of Joshua and they want to tell you that the church is an army. Well, yeah, sure it's an army, but you know what it is more than it is an army? It's family. Paul says that Timothy's his son, calls the church a household, and we've all been given the right to be children of God. It's this thing that's just all over it. And when God decides to do something, the biggest move in history, when he decides to incarnate, flesh himself, become a person, be born out of Mary's womb, he decides to do it in the context of family with cousins and aunts and uncles. The container for the kingdom, the container for the move of the Spirit is family. And by the way, when you're reading Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2, and when you're reading Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, those particular texts specifically, when you handle those, when you read them, especially this time of year, the thing you need to be reading and, con- and considering the whole time is these are blueprints for what the move of the Spirit looks like. This is how to conceive, gestate, deliver, and nurture a move of the Spirit. And the context in all four of those chapters is family. God's saying something to us here this morning. It's making a point. I want you to put up Matthew chapter 1 again. Because there's something curious in it. Look at verse 18. Knowing that God is trying to say something about the move of the Spirit held in a family. Look at verse 18. It's so curious. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. What a random detail. So specific. It's so specific. And the reason it's random, I mean, you and I take it for granted. We've heard the story. We've read it. It's stained glass. But if we really look at it a little bit, we realize this is a little bit random because the truth is we have very little about Jesus's life. We've got the Bible. I believe it. But we don't have the whole story, right? We've got like a little bit of Jesus, tiny baby. We've got one moment of Jesus, 12 years old an episode that really spans three days. There's another big gap. And then there's about three, three and a half years of Jesus fully grown, big time. His beard is out. He's doing stuff. And then there's all these gaps. Have you guys ever read the gospels and wished that there weren't any gaps? It was like more stuff. You ever thought, I want to know about 18 year old Jesus who just wants his hormones are going crazy because my hormones are going crazy. How did he handle anybody ever read that and thought, why isn't there more? Well, the reason I'm bringing that up is because in a scripture that doesn't contain every single detail, the things that it does contain are important. And here's, we've got this really random little thing here. Verse 18. It says that the Messiah, this is how he came about. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. The Spirit is saying something very specific here. It's saying that she became pregnant after they were engaged. Some of your Translations say betrothed others say engaged here it says pledged right so what's the point the point is this the spirit is saying that jesus wasn't given and released to mary until there was the formation of a family beginning to happen and by the way this word pledged or betrothed or engaged it's a bigger kind of deal then than it is now because look at verse 19 it says because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, verse nineteen gives us insight into Joseph's psychology. He's thinking, I'm going to divorce her. How many of you understand you don't you don't divorce people you're going you're engaged to, you just break up with them? Right? So there's something else here going on. It's the formation of a family and God did not release His Son Jesus into a family until there was the beginnings and the formations of a container that could actually hold it the way that God wanted help. Does this make sense? Right, yeah. Heck, if you or I get engaged and we decide that she's not as pretty as we thought, we just break up with her, right? Sorry, babe, it's over. Save the dress. I don't know what to tell you. You can keep the ring. Moving to California, I'm going to discover myself. (laughs) But it says that Joseph, in his mind, was going to divorce her. Well, the point here that the scripture is trying to bring out is that God was sending his son, and even from an embryonic stage, he was sending him into family. Did you know that Jesus has never not been a part of family? Never, for billions and billions and millions of billions and zillions and what is beyond zillion? Does anybody know? Like some some illion with random consonants in front of it. Conjunctivillion. That sounds like a disease. Jesus lived that long with the Father, even before an innumerable amount of years. He was held in the embrace of the Father. And the father would not release him from his embrace until he could plant him into another embrace. Jesus was held in family and he was released into family. The container for the move of the spirit is always family. He wouldn't do it any other way. So even from an embryonic stage, Jesus was held into family. He was held for all of time in his father's embrace and then his father sent him to the earth and he would not send him as an orphan. He would not send him as an orphan out of his own arms and into the arms of Mary and Joseph. Out of heaven's care and into a home. Family a container for the move of the Spirit. And here's the thing. I love this. Redemption. The redemption of the entire world came through families. Zacharias and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph. These two families they held, they were the container for the redemption of the entire world. See, there's a work of the Spirit that can only be contained in family. And here's the problem. We're Americans and we've got a renegade individualist spirit and especially when it comes to God. We, like, we, we get a little bit of anointing. We get like uh, 2% saved and we want to just like give everyone the finger and go off and do our own thing thinking that we're going to accomplish the purpose of God. And the good news this morning is it ain't going to work. Why? Because the only appropriate container for the move of the spirit is family. God will not bless and anoint any other thing. There are no Lone Rangers in the kingdom of heaven. There are no Han Solos. There are no renegade rebels it's only people who are contained in God's idea which is family and the reason i bring it up is because of this during this season of advent we anticipate the work of god we anticipate the coming of jesus it's a time when we look to the first coming of jesus we we treasure his presence with us here and we look to in the future to his second coming it's a time for us to anticipate things uh, that's what this whole season is about. Like one of the things you should do at home is you should get with your mom and your dad or maybe your kids and you should, you should tell the Christmas story and you should frame it within the context of he didn't just come, but he's coming again. Like you should look forward to that. Uh, beyond that, I wanted to bring it up because uh, in this place here at the Vineyard, uh, just because of our DNA and our spiritual heritage and because we've had uh, a, decent, a decent upbringing in terms of spiritual mothers and fathers, we have a culture here of anticipating what the spirit is doing uh we recognize that he is doing things like this week really great things happened at the vineyard all over really cool cool things happened and at the same time we we feel like god is going to do more we anticipate the fact that he's going to do more there's something in our hearts that says what is happening is good but i know there's more and if i can just speak honestly with you uh, several of us here at the Vineyard believe that God wants to do something really huge in Kentucky. And that he wants to do something major in a Nazareth town like, uh, like Campbellsville. Like a place where people are like, nothing good could come out of Nazareth. And nothing good could come out of Campbellsville. And we're like, exactly. We just feel it. We feel it. Like the Lord spoke to me 12 or 13 years ago and said that uh, Campbellsville is a Nazareth. And people think nothing good's going to come out of it, but something amazing is going to come out of it. And we just, we believe for more. Like, we don't believe that this is just like uh, two high schools with mediocre basketball and football teams and a medium-sized college where you can go to be a teacher or maybe a musician, and that's it. You know, we believe that there's something else in here. We believe there's something stirring. We believe there's something that's going to happen. We believe that really cool things are happening and that more is going to happen. We believe that Campbellsville in Kentucky could actually touch the entire world. And other people hear us talk about it and they go, you guys are crazy. You've got to go to New York City. And we go, well, I've been there. It's great. But something amazing could happen here. So we anticipate. Like we look forward to this. And because we look forward to it, we need to learn the ways that God does things. And one of the main ways that God does things is he brings his kingdom into family. While we're looking, let's not miss the most obvious place he's probably working, which is our family. Now, there's a really good chance that the move of the Spirit is intersecting your family right now. Here's the trouble. The trouble with the fact that the Spirit of God is actually intersecting your family right now is that you and I have a hard time seeing it and believing it. And the reason we have a hard time seeing it and believing it is because we're so close to these people that we assume we know everything that's happening. Part of the trouble with living with people is you actually get to know them. And after you live with somebody for a little while, one of the the lies that begins to take root in your own heart and mind is not just that I know them, but I perfectly know them. And I want to tell you something here this morning. You don't know the people you live with. And you know your family, but you don't know your family at all. This is really important. When you live with somebody, you know them. You might know a lot of them, but you don't know all of them. Not even close. See, it's really easy to get blinded by judgments. Especially the judgments that are based in reality. You go, well, I've got this cousin. He's a jerk. He's always been a jerk. He's a big, fat, doofus, jerk, bummer, dork, fathead. I hate him. And he's always been a big, fat, doofus, dork, fathead, stupid idiot. And I hate him. And the only thing he's ever going to be, he's never done a thing that isn't big, fat, stupid, dorky, and stupid, and I hate him. He's never done anything other than that. Ever. Ever. I hate when he comes over. I'm thinking about Christmas morning and I want to vomit. Maybe I'll get the stomach flu that's going around. I won't have to look at any of those people. Right? What's the trouble with that? Just aside from hating someone. Just aside from the, you know, the dust layer of hate that sits on your emotions towards someone else. The trouble with that outlook and that attitude is that you really don't know your cousin. You know 8% of your cousin and the truth is there's like 92% that's floating underneath and it's moving like water and the Spirit of God is probably hovering over it and he might do something that you never imagined with that person's life. And if you don't believe that something like that could happen with that person, if you really believe that you know them perfectly and they're nothing other than what you think they are, then you're divorcing yourself from being a participant when God does move them and does move them into something that you never imagined and you're, miss- you're going to miss the joy You really don't know people the way you think you do. It's easy to get blinded by judgments. Imagine the surprise that Mary's parents experienced when they found out that she was pregnant. Mary's probably 15, 16. Hey, Mom, Dad, we need to have dinner. I have news. I'm significantly late and I'm pregnant. It's okay, God did it to me. See, Mary's parents thought they knew her, right? It would have been a shock. And the shock would have been based upon the fact that they thought that they perfectly knew her. You know, we don't perfectly know our families. Imagine the wonder that hit Zacharias and Elizabeth's family when everyone else found out that they were pregnant. By the way, Zacharias and Elizabeth, these were not young people, these were old people. And they didn't have any kids. And and the thing they wanted more than anything in life was they wanted kids. And they didn't have kids not because they didn't try to have kids. They They didn't have kids because they couldn't have kids. And now they're old. Not just old, but they're too old to have kids. Like the pipes don't work. Everything's rusted. And then Zacharias has an angelic activity encounter in the temple And says, you're going to have a son. You should name him John. He goes home. They try it out one more time. Sure enough, they get pregnant. Only they're too old to get pregnant. Like the rusty pipes bust loose. And there's a baby in there. And then they go to the family gathering. Can you imagine the wonder that hit that family gathering? Zach. Liz. John. I mean, for years there was nothing, just rusty. Pop. The only thing they had was a dog, like a family, some family members who felt sorry for him gave him a little dog, gave him a little puppy. And Zach hated the dog, never liked him. Elizabeth had a lot of affection toward the dog. She made like little clothes for him, <laughs> which was super awkward back then because everyone just dressed in bathrobes and she had to find a tiny bathrobe for the dog and it ran around and then they come to thanksgiving dinner and it's zach and it's liz it's the dumb dog that zach hates and liz loves and it's john and wonder hits the family and why does wonder hit the family because they thought they knew them and something happened that they never imagined could happen to these people they just thought they're two people they're dog people See, this is why we, we got to leave some room around the people that we know. And not a little bit of room either. We need to leave a lot of room around the people that we know. Room for them to change. And room for us to be surprised. Because to the extent that we leave room is the extent to which we are leaving ourselves open to the move of God and the surprise of the Spirit. You don't, you don't perfectly know your family. You really don't. Leave some room. The other reason we struggle with believing or seeing the move of the Spirit in our family is because some of our families are not terrific. You're twenty-five, you're thirty, you're thirty-five, you're forty, you're forty-five, you're fifty, maybe you're seventy years old, and you realize that your parents are not Mary and Joseph. They are not even Zacharias and Elizabeth. Maybe was your maybe your dad was a drunk. And your mom's a pill popping addict she just stays passed out on the couch all the time and you grew up eating microwave macaroni and cheese and your dad got drunk and he worked just enough to have enough money to keep his bushlight light cooler filled and to go do whatever the heck he wanted maybe there was a lot of yelling In fact, I'm sure that in a room this size, there's there's probably a lot of yelling, or maybe it was less dramatic, but the voids are still there. Maybe your dad was emotionally withdrawn and selfish. Maybe your mother was stressed out and just trying to keep it all together, smoked a lot of cigarettes, and maybe your brothers and sisters were not your friends, but they were your competition. And you look at all that and you think, there's no way that God was ever in that. And there's no way that He could ever be in that. Well, I'd like to suggest a couple notes. Number one, the intersections of God and family in the Christmas story are filled with things that are impossible. So just because maybe you grew up with a dad who was a drunk and a mom was a pill popper who stayed passed out all the time and you grew up on microwave macaroni and cheese or maybe your dad was just emotionally distant and selfish and your brothers and sisters were not your friends but they were your competition just because you grew up like that doesn't mean that things can't change the Christmas story is filled with things that were impossible that absolutely changed Zacharias and Elizabeth couldn't have a baby and I don't know if you understand this or not but virgin birth is an oxymoron until the spirit gets involved And when the spirit gets involved, virgin birth makes perfect sense. And 75-year-old pregnancies are totally reasonable. Think of the most impossible thing in your family. Think Think of the thing that's most heartbreaking. Think of the thing that you can't fix even though you've tried. Think of the thing that therapy hasn't yet resolved there's a really good chance that God could move in that. And just because he hasn't doesn't mean he won't. And just because your cousin has never been anything other than a big, fat, dumb idiot, it doesn't mean that he's always going to be a big, fat, dumb idiot. Leave a little room. When someone gets intersected by the Spirit, they could be something totally different. What seems impossible with you is totally possible with God. Jesus says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. Cheer up. See, the the gospel account is showing us something. God's doing all sorts of things in the Christmas story that are impossible. And He's doing them in the family context. Right now, we should all do something together. We should do a couple somethings. Right now, everybody in the room who has disappointment, especially family disappointment, you should just hold that out before God. Like before we leave this morning, we're going to hold our family disappointments out toward God. Because he can do something impossible with those. See, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they represent family disappointment. Whole life, they want a kid and they can't have one. God comes over with the Spirit. They've got a son. And not just any son. They've got got Elijah preparing the way of the Lord. So before we leave this morning, you're going to need to hold all of your disappointment out to the Lord. The other thing you're going to need to do this morning is you're going to need to take all the places where you're embarrassed, especially where you've been embarrassed by your family, and you're going to need to hold that out to Jesus too. Let the Spirit come over it. Mary and Joseph, they represent embarrassment in the story. Mary's 15, she's pregnant, she didn't have sex, and the story doesn't help. Everyone thinks she's easy. Not only that, but everyone thinks that Joseph's a pushover and desperate. He's so desperate that he wouldn't put her away when he should. Who the heck needs a woman like that? And he stays with her. He's the only person in the village who believes her. Maybe ever. Maybe ever. We don't know from the scripture, but just maybe ever. I mean, it was such an honor-shame society. There's a really good chance that no one ever believed Mary and Joseph. Ever. Embarrassment. You need to hold all your embarrassment out to Jesus this morning. That's That's a place where he wants to intersect it. All the places where your mom and dad and your brothers were major boneheads and just screwed it up. Everything that makes you wince with pain. All the parts of the story that you don't want to tell, you need to hold them out. It's interesting to me that everything that people don't want to talk about gets put in the Bible. (laughs) All the embarrassing stuff, all the disappointing stuff, it's there. And it's just waiting for a moment when the Spirit can interact it. We need to let, we need to let God move in. We need to let God move through those people. He might, be really, he might be really close to doing a thing that you never imagined with people that you thought you already knew. And there's a really good chance it'll be a thing you never imagined because no one, not Mary, not Joseph, not Zach, not Liz, no one imagined those two sons. But God did. See, the story is not about what people can do as much as it is about what God can do and and what God is doing and what people are being invited into. We need to get this again. We talked a little bit about it last week, but we need to get this. This whole thing that God is doing, it's really not about what you and I can do. It's about what He is doing and what we're being invited into. Just say yes. You don't, have to, you don't have to work it up. You don't have to fix your family. You just have to look for the little places where the Spirit is working and say yes. Let Him say yes. Not only that, but God is also moving in all sorts of family contexts. God's moving in our natural families, but He's also moving in the body of believers. Family, when it, when it comes to Christians, family is not simply the blood kin you're related to, but it's also the spirit people that you're connected to by faith. Church is called to be a family. It's a blood and it's a spirit family. And by the way, you need both. You need both. You need blood family and you need spirit family. You need God to move in your blood family and you need Him to move in your spirit family We don't need either or, we need both and here. Let me explain this for a second, because it's shown to us in the Scriptures through Mary and Joseph. Something phenomenal happens to Mary. We know that. Uh, The Scripture says in Luke that she was overshadowed, and it's a really weird word. It only shows up a couple times in the whole Bible. The other time that it shows up is when Jesus is transfigured, goes to the top of the mountain, and power comes over, and it says that Jesus is overshadowed by the Spirit gleaming white his robes are whiter than any launderer can wash them and there's elijah and moses like this major power encounter There's jesus overshadowed well that's what happened to mary she got overshadowed and i don't know what happened in all of that but we know the result the result is essentially this an embryo was planted in her placenta that was pretty awesome and that's how it sounded when it hit it knocked her on the floor she hit the floor An embryo was planted in her placenta. And from that moment on, Jesus, embryotic, tiny Jesus, began to receive life from her. Her blood was his blood. And just a short time later, her umbilical cord was delivering everything that he needed. Everything that he needed. Everything that he needed and taking away everything that he didn't need. Everything that he didn't need. His life was her life. All the way. She was intimately woven in and connected to this thing that happened. And then there's Joseph, and he's sort of on the outside, right? And then a few months later, Mary experiences the pain of birth, and she pushes them out, and she cries, and it's a bloody mess. And there's Joseph, and he's just doing his best to hold it together. But what's the point? The point is this. You need a blood family, and you need a spirit family. You need Mary in your life, and you need Joseph in your life, and you won't make it without both. And everybody in the room's got Mary, but not everyone in the room has given their heart to Joseph, and it's really time that we do that. What does it mean to give your heart to Joseph? Well, it means to be like Jesus. Imagine this. Uh, So there's tiny Jesus, and Joseph is the surrogate dad, right? Joseph didn't give anything to make Jesus. Uh, Joseph and Jesus didn't share DNA. Joseph was just there. and He was the surrogate, the foster, the step, the stand-in, the pinch-hitter, except he was so much more than that. Joseph's changing diapers. Joseph's cleaning it up. Joseph's washing dishes. And then a few years later, Jesus is like five, six, seven. And Joseph says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, why don't you come with me to the shop? Jesus says, I don't want to. And Joseph says, come on, you're coming with me anyway. I don't care if you want to. And he goes in there and he begins to teach him how to make tables. And he's like, why don't you do it like this? And Jesus is just whacking stuff left and right. And Joseph says, okay, Jesus put the hammer down. Not like that, like this. Let me show you something like this. Not like you're you're working yourself. Hand me that. Why? Because I don't want to get up. That's why. These are the interactions that are happening. And all along, what's going on? Jesus is learning something from Joseph. Now, I want you to understand something. The Son of God is obeying, following, and learning from Joseph, the surrogate, stand-in, pinch-hitting dad. Right? He didn't offer anything. It's a model for us. You need... You need blood family Mary and you need spirit family Joseph and you won't make it unless you have both to the degree that God has for you. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. One of the things that we need to get here in the church is we need to begin to understand this, that you don't need DNA to be able to trust, love, and learn from someone. And just because somebody that shares your DNA has broken your trust, broken your love, and broken your ability to learn, it doesn't mean that you can't learn that same stuff from someone else who has nothing to do with your mom and dad. We need to break out of these patterns just a little bit. Okay, so your dad was a jerk. Big deal. It doesn't mean that all dads are jerks or that all men are jerks. And in fact, unless you find a man that you can give your heart to, learn to love, and submit to a little bit, you're never going to make it. There's some stuff that can only happen in that context. Why? Because the kingdom is held in a family context. God won't release his son into anything else. There are things that we all need, like you need it, I need it. We need a blood and we need a spirit family. We need Mary to give us life and we need Joseph to give us direction. See, everybody in the room has received life from Mary, but how many of us in the room have received any direction for Joseph? Is there even one Joseph in your life? Even one. Even places where our natural families have been wonderful. See, not everybody in the room had a terrible family. A lot of us in the room had great families, wonderful Sensitive to the spirit and nurturing, we still need a spirit father, a spirit mother, and a spirit family. You do. You cannot get everything from your wonderful dad or from your wonderful mom that you need to progress and succeed in your life. You cannot. You need a spirit dad. You need a spirit mom and you need a spirit family. It's, it's woven into the fabric of life. Um, I have a good mom and I have a good dad. And one of the things that God has continually done for me in my life is he has brought to me over and over again spirit dads. One spirit dad after another. Right when I needed a spirit dad of a particular nature, he would bring me a spirit dad. And it's not a rejection of my own father. It's not God saying, hey, your dad's an idiot. Here's somebody who's good. It's not that at all. It's just, here's a spirit dad who knows some stuff that your dad doesn't know. And it isn't a compla burn. It isn't your dad stinks and here's a guy who's good. It's just... He's good and he's good. He's got some stuff you need and here's some other stuff you need. Like Ray Hollenbach has been a spirit dad to me. Uh, what's weird is uh, for the entire time that I've known Ray, which is a really long time now, Ray has never treated me any, he has never treated me, he has never treated me like anything other than his own son. Now, this is my perception. It may not be reality, but that doesn't matter. It's just my perception and that's all that matters, Right? But in, in my perception is this, Ray has never treated me in any way that's different than he treated uh, Evangeline or Joseph. Anything that Ray had is mine. Any knowledge that Ray had, he gave me. Uh, any, any affection that Ray had, he gave me. He gave me time, he gave me attention, he gave me uh, knowledge. Uh, Ray taught me how to think and how to think critically, and how to look beneath the surface, and not believe everything that everyone's saying, and don't give in to a political spirit. He taught he taught me how to think one level beyond that. And it wasn't that my dad didn't do it. It's just it's just I got this other. I got a spirit dad. And he taught me how to do it. Ray taught me how to read books, and Ray taught me how to handle the scriptures and not do violence to any of them. He taught me how to handle the scripture without doing violence. And that was a, that's an actual phrase I learned from Ray Hollenbach. He would tell me, Adam, quit doing violence to the scripture. And you know what? When he would say that, I never liked it. He would say, that's violent to the scripture. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, what about this other part? You're not thinking about this. Think about that. Go in and think about it and then come back and talk to me later. And I never liked that, except it was my spirit dad saying, don't do that, do this, hand me that, do this. Not that, not that nail, not that hammer. This hammer, this screwdriver, Joseph, Jesus, come on, help me. You need it. You need somebody in your life who's going to bring you along in that way. We need, we need teachers and mentors and mothers and fathers who lead and love by the Spirit. See, God's moving in all of these family contexts. The kingdom of heaven is not an orphanage. The kingdom of heaven is not an orphanage. The church is not an orphanage at all. I know some people have that kind of a context in their brain and to the extent they do is the extent to which they're missing the real heart of God. It is not an orphanage. It's a home. It's a family where sons and daughters find out who they are and what God is up to and where he's inviting them to join in. That's what the church is and that's what the kingdom of heaven is. God sent his son into a family because the life of the spirit has to be nurtured. It has to be cared for and it has to be given space and time to mature. All the big things that God is doing start small and they need a mother and a father to grow them up. That's a really big deal by the way. Everything that God is doing starts small and will grow up. And the only way it will grow up is if a spirit mother and a spirit father help it grow up from small to big. The problem is a lot of us have an expectation. We've got Advent in our heart. We're looking for God. We're looking for Jesus. We experience Him. We're expecting Him. We're expecting big things. We're even expecting big things for our region. But if the only thing you expect is a big thing, you'll miss the small thing. You'll never nurture it. You'll never care it. You'll never get the big thing. God is not giving big things. He's giving small things. They have to be mothered and fathered. And I know you've heard preachers tell you, oh, God wants to give you a big vision. Probably not. He'll probably give you a picture, but the reality of what He gets you is really tiny and it's ignorable. It's just like the embryo that's inside of Mary's belly, completely ignorable. You don't even know it's there. She didn't even know it was there until the angel told her. Like the beginnings of what God does are hidden, they're subterranean, they're ignorable, they're small not powerful they're weak they require kindness and care and affection to be a spirit mother and a spirit father means that you nurture something it doesn't mean that you just give something your dna anybody can give the dna it doesn't make you a mother and a father people are dropping their pants all the time and making stuff it doesn't make them a mother and a father you have to care for it you have to nurture it You have to love it. You have to feed it. You have to dress it. You have to clean it. You have to wash it. You have to make a space for it. And then you have to care for it. Then you have to kiss it. And you have to hug it. And you have to care. And you have to feed it. And you bring it back. And you take it to basketball practice. And it's just like... And you correct it. And you teach it. And you teach it. And you teach it. And you show it. And you show it. And you love it. And you hug it. And you care for it. And it wounds you. And you care for it even still. This is how the kingdom comes. See, a lot of us are expecting God is just going to like show up somewhere, like maybe in our family or maybe in this region, maybe in Campbellsville or maybe in Kentucky, or maybe God's going to do something in some other place. Like we heard something and, you know, now God's going to go move in Africa somewhere. I'm here to tell you, it's not going to be what you heard at first. It'll be tiny. It'll be small. It'll be ignorable. And the only way the big thing that you heard about will happen is, Is if there's a mother and a father who can come alongside and care for it and love it and embrace it and feed it and nurture it and clean it and love it and hug it and correct it and teach it and teach it and teach it and love it and get wounded and forgive it. See, that's what you need. That's what you need and that's what God's calling us to be. A lot of people in this room have vision, but the thing I want to know is, is anybody in here willing to be a mother and a father to grow a small, insignificant, ignorable thing that no one else thinks is valuable? Because if you are, you just became a part of God's big-time plan. It's a big-time move, and He wants to do it in the context of family. It isn't simply about transmission. Anybody can do that. Anybody can transmit DNA. Anybody, you know what? Anybody can transmit spirit DNA. You know what? You know how much value transmitting spirit? Let me, I'm just talking about, I'm, this is total Christianese. I'll try to break out of that for a second. Spirit DNA, like knowing stuff about God. Do you know how much value knowing stuff about God is without a mother and a father to grow it up? I'll give you a hint. It's a zero. Like, DN, like demons in hell know all the answers. They believe that Jesus is the son of God. None of them obey him. (laughs) It's like, well, I know that Jesus is the son of God and I believe that he rose on the third day and I believe that that when we take communion, he's with us and I believe that that, that God created the world and I believe that the universe is his. Great, so do all the devils in hell. They all believe that. What I want to know is, do you believe anything enough to begin to teach it and train it and love it and care for it and nurture it in a person? Teach them and teach them and get wounded and forgive and move on. Spiritual DNA outside of the context of a home is a zero. We just create orphans who make more orphans. That's all we do. The church has been fantastic at making orphans who make more orphans. It's not about transmission, it's about embrace. So this morning, God's calling us to move into our family, our natural families, and in our spirit families. He's he's calling us to have eyes to see Him moving. God is calling us to be spiritual mothers and fathers, not just to birth things, but to grow and mature them and to nurture them. God is calling us to look for His hand in our natural families, even in your crazy family. Some of you in here have insane families, like totally insane, totally insane. Like it's never been anything other than insane. You didn't even know it was insane until you went to spend the night with another kid who had a normal family and you came home and you're like, crap, my family is jacked up. <laughs> right? Right? That first time you go spend the night with somebody, that's an eye-opening event. You're like, gosh. I remember the first time I went to spend the night with somebody, I came home and I'm like, holy crap, their family's terrible. It goes both ways. Yeah, there's people in this room who have horrible families. Like, that's not even a judgment. It's just, you know it. Like, no good things ever happened there. Hey, good news. Leave a little room for people. God's at work. He might come and do something impossible with the people that have never been anything other than rotten and big, fat, and stupid. It could happen. He could change it all. Your drunk uncle, he could... Who knows, man? He could become a preacher. Hey, Paul killed people and thought he was doing God a favor when he did. Let's just break it out here for a minute. (laughs) Paul killed Christians and thought he was doing God a favor when he did. He stoned people. Most Bible scholars believe that Paul was probably there when they killed Stephen. Hello. And Jesus is like, I'll take that guy. The murderer. Yeah, the murderer. The one. Yeah, the guy who's killing all my people. Let's get him. Come on in. Leave a little room. God's moving in your family. He's even moving in your jacked up family. God's calling us to look around and He's calling us to find our spiritual mothers and fathers as well. Everybody in this room needs a spirit mother and a father. You're probably going to need more than one. And if you don't have one, you better start praying. Especially if you want to do anything significant. And one of the things I know about you is that everybody in this room wants to do something significant. No one's, no one's laying in bed at night dreaming about how to be more mediocre. You know? I'm just hoping to be average. <laughs> oh, the dream of my heart is just like sort of to break even. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just hoping for a rotting lawnmower. Yeah, that's really not anybody's dream. Here's some action questions. If you brought a pen or a paper, you should break it out and you should write these down. You should deal with them this week. You should wrestle them as if a bear had just jumped in your bedroom and all the doors are locked. Several questions to deal with this week. If you don't have a pen and a paper, it's okay. There's this thing. It's called the iPhone in your pocket. Write it down. Action. Here we go. First question is have I given up on my natural family? Have I given up on my natural family? If you have, it's time to re- it's time to renew hope. God is moving in families, and he's never not moving in families. He's always moving in families, always. Have I given up hope? Number 2. Do I have a vision for my natural family being a home for the move of God? Do I have a vision for my natural family being a home and a container for the move of God? Let me just say something pastoral. Like our natural families can't just be like the caravan from one basketball practice to to ballet. It cannot be that. And by the way, we do ballet and we do basketball at my house. This is not a beat up on ballet and basketball. It is, it is this. It's that our vision for our family has to be bigger than that. Like we're living some flipping basketball right now. I mean, I've just i read like three books so far just wasting time at the practice. But the vision for our families has to be something more than that. Something more. Do you have a vision that your family could be a container for the move of God? Uh, Number three, have I found my place in the family of God? I'm talking about spirit family now. Have I found my place? Have I found my place as a mother or a father or a brother or a sister? And then number four, do I have a spiritual father or a spiritual mother? Do, I, do you know who they are? You need one. If you don't, you better pray. You better pray. You better start praying right now. In fact, the prayer can be really simple. God, I need a Joseph. Holy Spirit, give me a Joseph. What does it mean to have a spiritual mother and a father? It means just somebody who's further down the road than you. It's probably going to be older. Doesn't necessarily have to be, but probably will be. I'm not talking about peer to peer. There's some stuff that can only happen from older to younger, and you might be thinking, "Well, I'm in my mid fifties. You, you still need, you still need a, a Joseph." I've, I've heard about people who are 80 and who are still alive. If you're in your mid fifties, go find somebody 70 or 80 years old and ask them what's up. Like, start getting into this. We need to start praying for a spiritual father and a spiritual mother, and then if you do have a spirit. Father and a spirit mother, do you listen to them? Like ever. (laughs) Have I received their training as well as their love? Some of us have a spirit father and a spirit mother, but we only receive them to the extent that they want to give us love. And when they begin to do the training thing, we're like, no. We get all rebellious and we leave the house again. No, wait. Pump the brakes just a little bit. Spirit father, spirit mother, especially stuff that's annoying. Can we submit to it? Let's receive their love and let's receive their training. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come up? Awesome.